Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Well, we'll get right into our message today. Uh, we've been considering uh, Joel over the last couple weekends here as we are in our Lenten season. Uh, and the, and uh, if we have any visitors today, uh, we've been tracking through, yeah, this, this book of, of Joel. And uh, it's, we're using it to prepare ourselves for our Easter celebration. And uh, for those who have been tracking with us, and, and for those who haven't as well, uh, Joel starts off pretty dark. Um, the last two Sundays, we've experienced a lot of devastation in the book of, of Joel. Uh, <clears throat> with our text today, we are considering Joel 2, 18-27. Uh, and uh, our passage, I would like to announce to you, it begins with a change in tone with Joel. Okay, Verse 18 marks a change here. There's this assumption in the scripture that the people of God have been uh, paying attention to what God has been saying to them through the prophet Joel. Uh, there, there has been this turning back to God. God does bring deliverance from the locust, from the invasion, from all of the devastation. So there's, there's good news now happening in the book of Joel. But here's the thing. Biblical prophecy usually contains some amount of contingency. Contingency. Contingency is the opposite of what is inevitable. Okay. In other words, uh, when we read through all of this bad news, when we look at the historical narrative and all these bad decisions that the people of God were making in our Old Testament, when we see all of this stuff going on, we're invited to think, okay, things didn't have to be this way. From a historical perspective, somewhere in the chain of events, they could have made better decisions. They could have made God-honoring decisions. They didn't have to find themselves in such a cold, sad, cultural situation. They could have made better life-giving decisions. And so when Joel speaks forth this prophecy, when he's speaking God's word here, yes, sometimes it is a foretelling of what's going to happen, but also there's contingency involved. Meaning, Joel is going to dish out some words here. Hey, you're not going to like what you hear, but it doesn't have to be this way. You can return to the Lord. All right? He's giving the people an opportunity to repent and turn back to God. Turn back to God. And so in verse 18, in your Bibles there, it does, there, there's like a, there is a line. The tone Changes. Verse 18, Joel switches gears and he gives a vision of good things. And so uh, here's our outline today oh, as we get into our, our text. Uh, Joel 2, verses 18 to 27. We're going to cover God's restoration, Joel's call to, to rejoice, and then we're going to get in some promises of God. Uh, but let's read it here. Let's read our text today, and then we'll, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive right into it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Joel, and you can race me here. Sometimes Joel is hard to find. Okay, Joel chapter 2, starting uh, with verse 18, and we're reading to 27. 
<clears throat> then the Lord, then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those in the rear into the western sea. And its stench will go up and its smell will rise. A bad smell is a bad smell even in Scripture. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He, is, he sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, the great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be put to shame. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Holy Spirit, we, we invite you into this this worship space, God. We invite you into our hearts today, Lord. Uh, from, the, from the bottom of our hearts, would, would you just meet us exactly where we're at today, Lord? Uh, here in our cultural moments, in our lives, in our families, what we have going on at work, uh, just, just through all of that, would you just cut through right down to our heart, to our mind? Would you speak to us, God? We, we call upon you, Lord, uh, to bring, uh, to bring uh, just a, a good news lesson to us today. We thank you for the book of Joel. We thank you that we have the opportunity to study such an ancient and sacred text. May you guide us in our applications as a church and as individuals, Lord. Speak, speak to us today. Bless this time. Bless our, our ears. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. So if Joel was a screenplay, you would basically have to tell the filmmaker, hey, verse 18 of chapter 2, there is a tone change, a change in mood. Like you would have to tell the cinematographer, the lighting people and, and all of that, like, hey, like no more gloom and darkness. Like we need cheerful lighting like, tell the, tell the guy who's writing the music or the, the girl who's writing the music, the score. Like, like, no more, like, horror story music. Bring some bubbly, cheerful music, okay? In verse 18 here, there is a tone shift. There is this assumption that the people of God really did turn back to, to God. 
They followed through with Joel's call to repentance. In this prophetic vision, there is this shift from devastation to restoration. So verse 18 starts, Then the Lord became jealous for His land and spared His people. The Lord became jealous for His land. God is jealous. He has, he has a zeal for His land. And I don't want us to miss the land motif, the, the creation motif that's in this passage. Because God cares for His created world. He is jealous for it. And I think this is a, a good teaching moment for us that, you know what? It's not all about us. Okay? We, we do live in a place. We, we live in a biosphere. You know, we don't just live in a place, but we are a part of a place. And we have a glimpse here of a, of a God who cares for the welfare of the land. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, God cares for the planet, the environment, the, the ecology, the, the, the whole thing. All right? I'm reminded of Genesis 2.15, where in the garden, our, our first assignment was to work the garden and, and take care of it. And again, here we have a glimpse of a, of a zealous God who cares for the welfare of the land. God is so moved in this jealousy, this, this passion, this zeal. He is so moved then to, to spare the people. And I'm personally fascinated by the interconnectedness between God, the land, and the people. The people have humbled themselves. And this stirs up God's jealousy, His, his zeal for the land, for, for the whole picture. And God does take pity on the people. He spares the, the people. And He largely does this by restoring the land. God says, look, I'm about to send new grain, new wine, fresh oil. Healthy fields, healthy vines, healthy orchards, healthy people, healthy worship. Thomas Berry put it this way, you cannot have healthy people on a sick planet. God knows this, and God is showing his total commitment here, his zeal. He's committed to the land. He's committed to the people. In his mercy, mercy and compassion, the agriculture is going to flourish. And for the Israelites, that means healthy worship can, can get back rolling again. All right? And through all of this, the people are going to be satisfied. And God also deals with their, their shame. He says, no longer will they be a disgrace among the nations. Some, some translations say an object of scorn. Like, like God is going to reverse the shame, the disgrace. And God's restorative actions here, they're also coupled in with this message of, of peace. Because God is, is making a promise that He is going to drive away the northerner. All right? The, the, the locusts. I do believe it was a, a real, like, locust plague with, with, you know, the little bugs. But there's also room in the interpretation that this does include human armies and, and other, other invasions and, and things like that. God is going to drive all of that away. Okay? The northerner. 
And if it does mean a, a human army, I mean, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, take your pick. They all come from the north, okay? But God is stepping in and he's, he's saying, no, I'm driving them away. And the big point is God is taking care of it. He's driving them away and he is bringing his peace. There is this reversal. Those that cause the devastation will be devastated. And in our season of Lent, as we prepare for Easter, with, with this, I, I invite you to just simply reflect on the zeal and passion of God. Reflect on his character traits, his, his jealousy, his compassion, his, his commitment to bringing restoration. Joel's audience was surrounded by pagan worship and, and false gods that always needed to be appeased and satisfied. And, you know, today we're, we're surrounded by false gods, too, and a lot of things that distract us. A lot of things distract us and we start to, to lean away from God. But the spiritual discipline for us today, the spiritual discipline that I have for you is to lean into the zeal of God. Lean into the passion that God has for you. Our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the one true God, He has unchanging love for you. And I would say the discipline is to, to lean into that. Okay? To turn face throughout the week, to, to take times, to, to take that many time out and say, you know what, I, I need a moment, and I'm turning face to God. God's jealousy and God's zeal for you is a good thing. And when you lean into that, when, when you know that you're wanted by God, that you're, that you're turning into this, this gracious God, this compassionate God who's slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, like when you turn to that, that's amazing good news for you. Which means we need to lean away from the hustle. We need to lean away from materialism and, and consumerism and social media. There's, you know, you guys know all of the things out there that we need to lean away from, but we're instead we're leaning into God. We're relying on His character, His strength, His compassion, His promises, His vision of restoration. We're, we're allowing ourselves to fall into the, into the embrace of the Father. Fall into the zeal of God. And I think when we do that, when we fall into the, the zeal of God, the passion that He has for you, if you believe that that's true of Him, I think that's going to lead us into a place of worship, which is where Joel takes us next. In verse 21, he tells us to rejoice. Be glad, rejoice, worship. And I notice this, this flow in the text here. You know, it, there's a flow from the land to the animals and nature and then to the people. And again, there's this interconnectedness here. Sometimes when we're preaching uh, through our Bibles and, and we're doing Bible studies and, and all of that, I think sometimes we make God very human-centered, human-focused, which don't hear what I'm not saying. Yes, God loves his humans. God is crazy about us. But we also need to check that and, and tell ourselves it's not all about us. God's restoration is bigger than just the human story. And here in this text, don't be afraid, land. Rejoice and be glad. God is doing amazing things. 
Don't be afraid, animals, for your habitat is turning green again. Trees, you're bearing fruit again. Figs and grapes, they're all coming back. God's restoration is massive. God's restoration plan is is huge. And I just think of a, a coloring book that's just black lines on, on white pages. And, and God is bringing vibrant colors back to the story. God is filling out the colors. He's restoring the picture. Things are coming back to life. And then verse 23, children of Zion, the people, people, rejoice and be glad in the Lord your God. Why? Because God meets humanity's deepest need. God is sending the autumn rains for your vindication or, or justification, your, your, your righteousness. Now, in the environmental sense, our spiritual ancestors, they didn't have much or any irrigation systems. They completely rely on the sky for, for rain. God is the sender of the rain. God is the sender of the rain. So if you don't mind, can I just have everybody close your, close your eyes? If you don't mind, everybody close your eyes, nobody looking around. Imagine a, a, a long summer of drought. You're hot, you're sweaty, you're dry. Your tongue sticks to the top of your mouth. Your lips are sticky. You get that white stuff in the corner of your mouth. It's hot, hot, dry. After a long, dry season, imagine the cool rains of late September softly coming down. The pouring of redemption and restoration coming down, saturating your soul. God sends his cleansing showers as a sign of blessing, acceptance, approval. The Spirit of God falling afresh on you. The Spirit of God blowing through the caverns of your soul. The rain is going to make things grow again and flourish. God is sending His healing rain. God is the one who cleans us up. He is the one who vindicates. He is the one who justifies. He is the one who makes things right. You can open your eyes. God is the sender of the rain. He is the author of of restoration. The pastures of the wilderness are sprouting again. Look at verse 22 there. The Hebrew word for sprout is found, uh, this, this word for sprout is found only in one other place in the Bible, and that's Genesis 1.11. Okay? This word is only used twice in the Old Testament. Genesis and here in Joel. Uh, this idea of, of things turning green, things sprouting. Joel is echoing the Garden of Eden here. This is like the renewal of Eden. Things are coming back to life. The threshing floors will be full. The vats will overflow with new wine and fresh oil. This is revival language here in Joel. God is the only one who can reverse the wasteland of the the human heart. And as we turn to God, you know, conversion, this, this turning and returning to God, as we humbly lean into the zeal and passion of, of God, God calls us to fall into Him, to worship, to, to rejoice, to be glad. Worship our restorative God Almighty. 
And as we prepare for Easter, a big part of our our worship life is a response to revival. Past, present, and future revival. I think the bigger our vision of revival is, the bigger our worship response will be. God's rescue, salvation, His healing, His revival is so big, it's so complex, it's overwhelming, because as we see in Joel, it does include the land, the fields, the animals, the trees, the grapevines, and indeed, the human heart. This has me thinking about the Old Testament word shalom. It's one of my favorite words, uh, shalom. it's, It's a word for comprehensive peace. But like shalom is not just meant for for people, but it's like it's, it's for the whole healthy people in a healthy place. We had shalom in the beginning, but sin brought brokenness and alienation happened between us and God, between us and each other, between us and creation. And even like inside of us we're we're alienated within ourselves, we're we're fragmented people. Sin brings this this brokenness. To all of these relationships everywhere. And I would say the biblical antidote for all of this brokenness is God-sized shalom. Shalom is the healing of relational wounds that are just found all over the place. Shalom is the reestablishment of peace, harmony, and balance. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I have buy-in. How do we get this shalom? The good news is, God became human. His name is Jesus. He lived perfectly without sin. And through the willing sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus is the one who makes shalom possible with God the Father. And by trusting in the work of Jesus, we call this faith, we are brought back into a restored relationship with with God. On April April 2, uh, April 2nd of this year, we will celebrate, we will observe Good Friday, the day Jesus died on the cross. And remember, crucifixion is like the symbol of the extreme opposite of shalom. Jesus went to the extreme opposite of shalom. He was sinless, but He willingly took up the cross. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Easter happened. Resurrection happened. Resurrection is a thing, a true event. It's wild. Jesus has a restored, revived, resurrected body. And it's a glimpse of what God is up to. God is in the business of resurrection, reconciliation, restoration, revival. And I really hope you hear that as as good news. Jesus heals. Jesus heals the, the alienation between us and God. Jesus brings shalom to our human heart. When we say yes to Jesus, we become ambassadors of Easter. Ambassadors of this resurrection day. This day of revival that happened in the middle of history. We are ambassadors. We say yes to Jesus. We become his representatives. We're representatives of God's restoration plan. And it gets better. There's, there's more. We're called to pray for God's restoration to come. The Bible uses different language for it. They, they call it the kingdom of God. 
We're praying for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. We want to see God break in, bring restoration. Missionally, we do this by making God's zeal our zeal. We are part of a global-sized revival project. Do you believe that God can and will act powerfully on behalf of His people, of His earth? The bigger our vision of revival is, I think the bigger our worship response will be. How big is your revival vision? So Joel, he calls the people to worship. And then in verse 25, he, he switches over to first person God speak. Uh, and we get to experience some of the promise, promises of God. We experience our promise-making God here. God will repay, restore, provide restitution for everything that those little bugs have eaten, the locusts. God is the one who brings proper orientation back. There's distortion. The good news is God is the one who can, who can undistort that. Whatever the, <laughs> the opposite of distortion is. That process, restoration, right? God brings back the proper orientation of things. The people, they were all messed up in their sin. But God is the one who steps in. God is the one who makes things right. What grace. What grace. Grace. And so let's use the locust as like a symbol, as a metaphor, okay? Let's just take a moment. Let's, let's say the locust represents things like shame, regret, guilt, worry, anxiety, okay? What's your locust? All these things that eat us up. All these things that... Nom, 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 nom. Anxiety, worry, fears, doubts. Eating you away, eating you away. All of these things that, that eat us up. Here we have a God who says, I can repay the years the locusts have eaten. Talk about a big vision of restoration. Even all these moments, we get spent caught up in our own junk. God's like, I can restore that as well. And I like how gospel singer and preacher Kevin LeVar comments on this verse. He says on verse 25, Kevin says, God is saying, I love you so much that when you turn to me and return to me, I'm going to give you back what your sin stole from you. Verse 26, more promises come. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. My people will never again be put to shame. This is our wonder-making God, great provider. Every time we have food in front of our face, be, be thankful, be, be gracious, and or, uh, have, have that, that gratitude. Praise God. And when we reflect on that, when we reflect on all, all of God's provisions, all of the things that He provides for us, you know, we are just inclined to worship and, and praise God. As God heals, as God restores relationship through the work of Christ, we can really emphasize 
on this promise that that God, like like through it all, God God will not put His people to shame. You know, through through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, there's no more condemnation. Never again will we, never again will we be put to shame. This is true in light of eternal salvation. And God's biggest promise here today, the greatest provision God gives is his presence. Look at verse 27. It's kind of like a capstone verse here. You will know that I am present in Israel and that I am Lord your God and there is no other. My people will never again be put to shame. The God who is zealous, compassion, and abounding in faithful love is present with his people. God is bound to his people. God binds himself to his people. And he does this in the most supreme way through the new covenant of Jesus. When we look to Jesus, people of all mixed-matched backgrounds and ethnicities and all walks of life, but through all this diversity of, of the human uh, population, it's, the, me- the message is come to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus just takes you in. It removes the shame. It restores honor. And Jesus ends spiritual exile. And God binds himself to you. You are bound to God. It's the new covenant. A restored human being. A new human remade in the image of Christ. And here at the end, in our season of Lent, as you prepare for Easter, I invite you to consider God's zeal and compassion for you. To to lean into the zeal that God has for you. To to know and believe that you are wanted, that, that you are loved. As you prepare for Easter celebration, know that a big part of our worship response is is related to our vision of revival. Past, present, and future revival. The bigger our vision of revival is, the bigger our worship response will be. And as we prepare for Easter, know and believe that God is present. Reflect on the blessings that God knows you. And I really hope you know him back. Be still and enjoy his presence. Be grateful for all the wonderful things that he does. God is a great provider. And finally, what's your locus? What's eating away at you? God is present. He wants to hear from you. Turn to God. Ask him. To drive out that locust. Seek the peace of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we we come to you. And we just thank you so much that you are a God of, of grace and revival. And may, may we just see the, the passion and 
like the, the story that, that you have for us, the dreams that you dream for us, God. And I just pray that we can, we can lean into that, Lord. You're on a mission to, to restore things, to save human lives, to, uh, to, to do good deeds, good works, to, to take care of orphans and widows and the needy, Lord, and to set the oppressed free. And you're, just, you're on this mission of revival and restoration. And, and God, may, may we just see ourselves as a part of that story. And as, as we just continually to, to come to you, as, as, we, as we turn and return to you ourselves on a daily basis, God, I just, I just ask that you, you would just continue to, to meet us exactly where we're at. To keep, uh, keep us in, in that, that space of embrace, Lord. Father, we, we ask that you would increase our vision of restoration, of what's possible on this planet. And may we just respond to you, God, as, as we lift up our voices now. We respond to you in worship. We just ask that you would, you would just rain down your blessings. Bring your Holy Spirit. Fill us up. In your name we pray, amen.